0: Today is exactly one month from the most devastating day for Israel and the Jewish people since the Holocaust. Black Saturday, October 7, 2023. We speak today with Eli Beer, hero and first responder who says, with palpable grief, that his whole life was in preparation for this moment, this incomprehensible war and savagery visited upon Israel one month ago. As a young boy growing up in a Jerusalem suburb, Ellie Beer was shocked to his core when he arrived at the scene of one of the first suicide bus bombings in the city, minutes after it had occurred. That moment changed his life. For anyone who knows Ellie, he is the most ferocious teddy bear in the world, a warm, empathic man who is possessed by a mission that has seized him since that moment, he saw evil with his own eyes. He founded Hatzalah in 2006, and the organization has grown to be what I would certainly consider the premier medical emergency first responder organization in Israel, without question. And if you're wondering on what basis I make that bold claim, well, listen to Ellie's testimony of what happened on that dark, dark day exactly one month ago in Israel. What was the only rescue organization or presence that was operating on the ground where the attacks were ongoing for hours on Saturday, October 7? United Hatzalah. In the weeks since, Eli has had audiences with presidents and community leaders. He is a big, ebullient man who looks like a shadow of what he once was. Like all survivors of the Hamas-ISIS attack on October 7, and first responders with whom I have spoken, there is a vacant, haunted film covering his face. His pallor is otherworldly, gray. Nothing will ever be the same, nor, I fear, will this man of peerless vision, determination, and faith. I have decided to leave much of the dialogue from our conversation unedited, because the emotion is so apparent in many of Ellie's long pauses. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, and now a resident of the city of Tel Aviv. Thanks for being with us. And now I introduce my dear friend and hero, Ellie Beer, founder, president, and CEO of United Hatzalah. So good to see you, Ellie. How are you? Could be better. I know we we asked the question, but it's almost like you feel terribly asking it. Ellie Beer, founder, president, CEO of United Hatzalah, based in Jerusalem. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with the state of Tel Aviv on this Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon in Israel. Ellie, you have done extraordinary work. But what I want to talk to you about is October 7th and after, because the world changed. In the most horrible way not just for the people of israel not just for jews but for everyone and you and your extraordinary team were on the ground your first responders take us back to that day i know how difficult it must be but please take us back to that day and what happened when you woke up and learned that something
1: really bad is going on in the south well that day It was a day that's still four and a half weeks for me. It's the same day for me. This day is not ending. It started at 6.40 in the morning for me. And I got a phone call from the United Hetzalat Command Center in Jerusalem, the 122 number center, where people called for help. Hundreds of emergencies were coming at that time, which is not normal. Usually Shabbat morning, the holiday, Simchat Torah, we get maybe a few calls a minute. Maybe two calls a minute or something during the day, more people called from the whole country. You know, United Hot responds to 2,000 emergencies a day. We were getting hundreds and we couldn't handle it. The phones were ringing from every corner and we couldn't even answer the phones. And but they called me to say that one of our volunteers was murdered. So, what are you talking about? I said, they had a missile attack. They said, okay, missile attack happens all the time in Israel. He said, no, they had a missile attack in the, in the south. And at a party, I couldn't understand what they were saying. I was half sleeping. And they said, at a party, overnight party. And I know about the party because we had paramedics there, overnight paramedics. They were watching to see if everything's okay, if someone faints. They were standby. And they said one of the paramedics, Awad, a Muslim Arab volunteer of United Sala, was caught by terrorists. And they strangled him. They, they, they shot him and killed him. I was like, what? First of all, they thought he was kidnapped. They thought he would, they weren't sure exactly, but it, it sounded like they killed him. I jumped out of bed. I was within minutes, I was in my car, put on lights and sirens. This was Simchat Torah. My wife, Kitty's a paramedic. She took the, or her car, she said, okay, I'm going down south because I, she knew already it's big stuff. Another volunteer of ours was hit in she wrote, shot in his face. Like this news was coming in every second to my radio. I said, okay, this is, I'm going to be in the dispatch because that's where everything starts in our command center. You there, I think you came a few years ago. I
0: did. It was amazing. I was so impressed with that.
1: It's, the technology center. we use is unbelievable because we were able to see what's going on, on the field because people called us, but we sent them a link. They press the link and they actually see through their phones. We get a broadcast, direct broadcast. And that's what happened. We got direct broadcast to see hundreds of people killed everywhere. It was like, oh boy, boy, like what's going on? And that's when when I got to the dispatch, I took over. I said, okay, everyone's recruited. Everyone. And we got everyone out of shoes. The religious Jews were in shoes, Davening, and, and they all rushed with the Talitss wearing the talites, coming to the command center, running in. I had people answering phones of people who were calling, crying on the phone, just save my kids. I don't care if I survive or not, but just save my children. I hit him. I hit him in the attic. I hit him in the bomb shelter. I hit him in the wash machine. People hid their children everywhere. Just to be the kids to be safe because terrorists were try to break into their homes. And not one. Ten terrorists on one home with machine guns, with hate in their eyes against Jews. That's when I realized we're in a really big war. It's not just a terrorist attack. I realized it's a war and I called, we called the army. The army was completely surprised and the police were not answering because the police were attacked in the stations there. And many of the policemen were killed. Actually the volunteer of ours, Chaim Sasi, who was on the way to save a policeman who was hurt, he was injured. And he had a, a bullet in his face and in his arm and leg. And he pulled out his gun crime. He's a great guy. We carry Some of us carry weapons to protect ourselves. And he shot the terrorists who killed him. But he thought, okay, I got rid of the terrorists. And then he sees 20 others. And he survived? He was there three hours in between the fire, between the Israelis shooting at the terrorists. Jeez. He was there underneath. And he was bleeding. And he had to use his own bandage to bandage himself. Then one of our other volunteers, Yaakov Bar Yochai, two hours later, three hours later, which he's post-traumatic anyways from another event in Shterot. So he saw Chaim Sassi in the middle of the fire. He just ran inside the fire like a lunatic. And he caught him and put him on his shoulders. He didn't care about the bullets. And he just started running. He, he, he put him in his car, in the back of his car, laying him down. And then he ran back because that a policeman injured. He put him on his shoulders, ran back like Rambo. And then the third one, he put three injured people in his own private car and he got them out of there to Barzilai Hospital, driving like 180 kilometers an hour.
0: When we started talking, Ellie, you made a comment that so resonates with me because it's how I feel as well, that October 7th has never ended, that we're a month later and it's just this big, this blur that it doesn't end, it doesn't stop. In many ways, it just gets worse. I want to take you back to that Saturday, and you said that you realized there was just the tsunami of horror, and this was a war, and you contacted the IDF. Around what time was that when you contacted the IDF, and are you able to share with us what kind of response you received?
1: Well, I could say clearly that the government failed. The Army failed. The ambulance services failed. The people won. The soldiers won, the civilians won, and that's what brought us to victory for the first day. Otherwise, we would have had 10,000 people, maybe 20,000 people dying.
0: Was MDA, David Vida Dome, were they operating in the area on
1: Saturday and Sunday? I'm not going to get into MDA because that's they had an expose in the television about this and spoke about the response they realized they had a few vic- they had a few victims in the morning early in the morning, people who live in the community who are MDA yeah. people, and since that w- moment they told all their people to wait outside of Sherod ten kilometers or five kilometers up to- from Sherod, and they like the police said it's too dangerous don't come in. Our volunteers originally were also said wait outside there, but they didn't want to wait, and we were getting volunteers saying, we're not waiting, just we're going in. So we just said, just go in. My wife, Kitty, went in. Wow. Ambulances of MDA were outside in some part of the day afterwards, and they didn't go in for many hours. We, were send, we sent 60 of our ambulances inside, our vehicles and ambulances inside, and we were needed help. We needed 100 other, 200 other ambulances, 200 ambulances, 300 ambulances. But it was very dangerous. It was dangerous. They have rules and regulations and different things. I'm not, I'm there. we are United Hatsala. We are volunteers. None of our people down South or em- employees that day, everyone was there on the volunteer corps, no one had a paycheck for them. So they knew they're putting their lives in danger, which is really incredible. Think about the power of volunteers who warned the terrorists. You know, who won the terrorists, The or the people who come from the yeshubim. This is not the army. The army, unfortunately, a lot of soldiers were killed, were murdered. A lot of soldiers were kidnapped. The army, the generals and everything didn't prepare the army to this come. No one knew. I don't know how they're going to do investigations. The ones who won the war are the volunteers, are the kitot Korunut, who are the volunteers, are the ones jumping out of their homes, fighting. Many of them died fighting. The soldiers who came in not listening to the commanders, the Apache fighters who jumped on the Apaches and they, and they said, Where are you going? We said, We're going to save people. And they were getting communications from the people on the ground, not from the headquarters. This is the ones who won the war. This is showing really the people could win. The people could win. The volunteers. The fighters, the, the soldiers, my son is in the army, in the Israeli really army. army. My son was up north. They sent him right down south. My son is still down south now. He's in yeah. the special forces. Now, I don't know what other organizations did. I know what United Hatzalah did. Right. We were there all day going in and out, getting injured people, bring them out. Sometimes six or seven injured people in one ambulance, laying one on each other because they didn't have another yeah. option. Our volunteers took in their own private vehicles. I could tell you in Ofakim, which was a massacre in Ofakim, a volunteer of ours. I just spoke to him yesterday. I, he's at Sadek. He saw a soldier, a Yassam, like the Special Forces. Yeah, and yeah. The, uh, he was injured really bad. He, he ran to the guy. He picked him up on his shoulders. I have a video of it. I, someone sent me a video across the street. Someone took a video of it. And you see him. Picking up the guy, putting on his shoulders, all like we were picking up people. We yeah. didn't know we have so much strength. Picking up people, he put it, he put him in the back of a, a car. Whose car was it? A policeman's car. He doesn't know who's a policeman. Mm-hmm. It was a police car. His car was further away. He just laid him in the back. They they didn't have ambulances. So he says, okay, and then he runs back and he gets another guy who's a one of the uh gone uh-huh. aloof like a top guy in the army that was injured. Don't forget these soldiers were running in like heroes. A lot of the best soldiers of Israel were murdered. And he went in and he got the soldier that was injured. He put him in the back. And then he was driving the police car with lights and sirens, like stealing a police car more or less with two injured people. Guess what? He dropped them there. He didn't say, I'm going to, okay, I'm safe. He went back. And I said to him, I said to him, I think you and the rest of the volunteers are the real heroes of Israel. These two people you saved. And then he saved more people. And this has gone on and on for hours and hours at night we're still saving. And the next day we were still saving, but then things slowed down. Of course, everyone started coming in. But in the first few hours, it was worse than a war zone because this is not only missiles, this is guns, this is knives, this is everything possible. So I really, I think I'm honored. Hashem put me, God put me in this organization for a reason. This was October 7th, which is the longest day of my life.
0: Are you concerned with what is going on in Israel? This is not just another crisis. State of Tel Aviv is committed to delivering superb and candid analysis, and we're offering a limited-time subscription special, a 33% discount from the regular fee of $90 annually. One year for only $60. Stay informed and stay connected with State of Tel Aviv. We are a reader-supported enterprise. If you value our work, please subscribe. It makes a huge difference. StateofTelaviv.com. All one word. Now, back to the podcast. We're all very grateful that you are there and that you do what you do and it's so tragic and I can only imagine that the price it's taking on your soul but you're doing such important work I want to ask you about when you personally went down there and you're telling me stories about these incredibly brave people who I suppose none of us really know how we'd act until we're in the moment and tested but you were in the midst of this carnage as well How did you physically get down to the Otef Aza, the area around the Gaza Strip?
1: Well, I have a a 4 by 4 response car of United Ansela, a Kia. And I just jumped on it. I said, listen, my wife, Kitty, was there since 8 o'clock in the morning. No, earlier, 7.30 or something. I don't know the timing exactly because no one was looking at a watch. She went straight to her, Road. I went to the dispatch. And then after the evening, I went with my car and it was very dangerous. There was a lot of terrorists were still there. And I go in and I was planning to go to Skelitz where our volunteers were. Somehow a guy saw Hatzalah, he jumped out of the bushes out of nowhere and he came running towards us. We thought he was a terrorist and We we have protection. It was a Jew a young guy was running for hours from that party and hiding for hours all day. He didn't drink anything. He was starving. He wasn't injured. He was just falling apart. And to see him, he looked like a ghost. He looked like a Holocaust survivor, like just came out of a camp, running out of a camp. And one of my guys took him out of there. He, He was traumatized and I, I don't even know his name. You just it, that's when I realized this. They have hundreds of people still injured who are hiding, or different people who hiding for two days, three days. So I actually went to the volunteers. My, I decided my role would be uplifting the spirits because people need a hug after a day like this. They need a good word. They need a comfort because some people were devastated. I had this guy Danny Shmuel. I call him up. He's the head of Atzela in the North, in the Otefaza. Oh, the whole area. In the back of his house, he opened the whole hospital field. Many dead people. He had a morgue in his house that he put in the back of his house, like in the yard, backyard. He put all the dead people on one side, all the people alive on one side. He was treating them. And we had to send him supplies during a war. During our thing, we sent him supplies. We sent trucks down during the day on Shabbat. This is very important for you to know. On Shabbat, we had over 1,000 Orthodox Jews who came who keep Shabbat. And wow. they did things they, that only a hero could do on Shabbat and go and risk your life. But now they have things you can't do on Shabbat. Even on Shabbat, you can't, let's say a dead body, you can't touch a dead body according to halacha. But,
0: but you, you know can't they, save lives, but you can break Shabbat to save life.
1: And that's the commandment. You can't bury someone. You can save lives. Right. You can do anything allowed, anything right. you could do, saving a life but they saw the dead bodies on the road and the cars were driving above them because they had jeeps and tanks going. So they decided to pick up all the bodies and put them in a truck because our trucks were coming with equipment and they filled up our trucks with dead Jews. They drove them back to Abu Kabir Hospital and to the the morgue, the main morgue of Israel. It was a disaster. We never had dead bodies in our trucks. We take medical equipment, we take ambulance cycles. So we really were able to do things that I never thought we will do. That was the first situation where we just, we were alone. We had no Ministry of Health, no one to talk to, zero. The the organization operated like an incredible organization on its own. We were on our own, more or less. And I realized later that had other organizations like us, like on our own. Hashomer HaChadash, these guys were going with guns, protecting places other organization. No government oversee over this. But this is something that I realized that what really matters in times of crisis is your neighbor, is your Corsair street neighbor who's a Hatzalah volunteer. That's what really matters. That's why I worked for 35 years to build Hatzalah. For October 7th, yes, we saved, we treated five and a half million people till now. But October 7th, if we didn't have United Hatzalah, Thousands of more died. People, you know how many tourniquets we used? We had thousands of tourniquets put on people that were bleeding. So Baruch Hashem, we were able to do. Thank goodness
0: you, you were there. And I hate to put it this way, but as you're talking, I'm thinking it's almost as if the last 35 years of your life have been a dress rehearsal for this critical moment. Because quite right, had you not been there and your people not been there and had you not driven this selfless ethos into the organization, tone at the top, right? You founded it, you drive it, you run it, and you are a force of nature, Ellie. You know that. So many of us are so grateful for the work you do and will continue to do. And I think it's time for me to sign up and volunteer as well. I just want to give you
1: a big hug. By the way, I got a hug from two presidents in two weeks. Tell yeah. only one other person in the world who got two hugs. A hug Biden and a hug from President Trump. okay. That's quite a combo, too. Yeah, but Trudeau didn't give me a hug yet. Ellie
0: is focused on Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau here, of course, because he knows that I am Canadian and that this podcast has many Canadian listeners. But that's not the only reason he singled him out. Justin Trudeau has distinguished himself from the G7 countries and the West generally in what I certainly consider to be a disturbing way. Trudeau is the only G7 leader who has not visited Israel since the savagery was unleashed. His statements have tended to be delayed and much less strong in their support of Israel compared to his peers. Nor has he condemned the Hamas-ISIS barbarism as war crimes. When the blood libel of Israel allegedly attacking a hospital in Gaza sparked protests worldwide. Justin Trudeau took his time in walking back his clear imputation that Israel was responsible for this, quote, attack that never happened. And, as he loves to do, he wagged his finger at Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Israelis generally, reminding them that they may defend themselves, thank you, Justin, but no war crimes, as if. Yet, Trudeau was silent about the fact that Hamas rockets struck Barzillai Hospital in Israel on October 7th. He has been silent since, not a peep about war crimes. There are times in life where dilemmas and situations are black and white. This is one of them. There is no gray. And Canadian federal leadership has made clear, in its light-touch attention, Paid to massive demonstrations across Canada calling for the destruction of Israel and the killing of Jews, where it stands. Canadian Jews have been assaulted, threatened. Jewish owned businesses have been targeted for abuse in person and online and vandalized. Just before recording this podcast today, I learned from a good friend that his Israeli grandson, at school for a few years in Toronto, was beaten up by a Muslim student. These children are under 12 years of age. The police apparently are involved. This is just one of many incidents. And yet, the Prime Minister is silent. When he does make any comment about anti-Semitism, he always links it to Islamophobia. It's absolute madness. We should all pay attention to the clear message Prime Minister Trudeau is sending us. Now, back to Ellie Beer. You made a disclosure at a speech you gave to Republican Jews who were gathered for an event in Las Vegas. It was a particularly macabre disclosure. I'm not going to ask you to repeat it. What I am going to ask you is this. What we see within days of this horrific carnage and savagery is a denial that these events ever even took place. Denial. How do you process that, or don't you? That it well, comes to the point that someone like you has to disclose this horrific detail.
1: I never really understood where did the denial for the Nazi regime show the Holocaust, ever. Where did the, where did the denial start? It actually started right away, right after the Nazis committed suicide. Hitler shot himself in the head, or whatever he did. Right after that, All his friends started saying, never happened. He tried burning down everything. And they make up stories about, oh, the Jews are just making up things. I just realized that after people didn't believe stories and said, oh, it's a made up story. Why would I just want to clear? I want to make it clear. Hamas is like ISIS and, and, and Nazis together. That's what Hamas is. It's not only them, it's their wives, it's their mothers, and their fathers, and their brothers and sisters. And when a baby's born, they start nur- nursing them with hatred towards Judaism. And not only Judaism, by the way, they're hating against anyone, Christians, Buddhists, yeah. everyone who's not a believer like them will die according to their belief. So they did everything and more. A lot of things we don't know because they burned bodies, they put bodies anywhere, they, they destroyed, they, they, if, they if they had enough time, they would have done a lot worse. They at least left a, a little flesh of a body that we can bury. They would have done worse. These people are Hitler and ISIS together. That's who they are. And the people who are saluting them now in, in Canada are saluting for Nazis and for ISIS. Could you imagine that after 9 11, you would have these saluting in Canada for Al Qaeda? This is what's happening now in Canada. People are saluting for worse people than 9-11 people. Al-Qaeda, our old version, the Hamas are much more sophisticated. Planning, go on their website and go see on the Hamas website what they say about conquering the world. First of all, killing all the Jews. Seven million Jews are dead, according to their bylaws. They're not peaceful people. They're not humanitarian people. They're not people who want free Palestine. They want to kill all the Jews. That's what they want. And who is who are you slitting? Why is the government of Canada not arresting all these people who are doing this? They're going to do it one day, God forbid, in Canada or in America. What they did in Israel, they could do anywhere. They're getting a momentum. If people are letting them do these things and not stopping them now, they're going to get it back in their face in 20 years or 10 years from now. We're fighting now. Israel is a guinea pig. Israel is a guinea pig for what Hamas is planning really to do. So we are now fighting the worst types of human beings of, in the world to protect the world because eventually they're planning to go everywhere else in Europe and Canada and America and look what they're doing now so thank you very much for having me thank you Ellie, so much thank you for my for the love you have towards Salah, uh, towards israel i love you too we all love you and come visit in israel
0: i'm coming back soon i just happened to be here when the war broke out take care of yourself in the meantime And I'll see you in a few weeks when I'm back. Thank you for making time for State of Tel Aviv. Bye, Ellie. I first met Ellie when I was the Canadian ambassador to Israel. We were both killing time in the lobby of Jerusalem's magnificent King David Hotel, which was a real hangout spot for the diplomatic crowd. Many of us did not have offices in Jerusalem because our embassies were located in Tel Aviv. So... Between meetings, the King David became a very social place. There was always someone you knew or should get to know. And the food was great. And that's when I collided with Ellie initially. It was several years later that we reconnected, when I went to tour United Hatzalah headquarters in Jerusalem, and I was just blown away by the scope of the operation and its leader, Ellie Beer. Shortly after that visit, Ellie recruited me to participate in a United Hatsala mission to Moldova to work with Ukrainian refugees. It was the early weeks of that horrific war, March, 2022. What I witnessed was a miracle in real time unfolding. Have a look at our website, stateoftelaviv.com, and you will find the article I wrote at the time in the National Post newspaper about the extraordinary relief work that United Hatsala delivered to these destitute refugees. No other NGO or government relief organization was on the ground in Moldova. Why? Well, read my article to find out. I urge you to visit the organization's website israelrescue.org. That's all one word, israelrescue.org. You will be absolutely amazed by the work that United Hatzalah's Volunteer Force of more than 15,000 individuals in Israel accomplishes. They are all volunteers. They are of all faiths and ethnicities. They all cooperate to save human life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please, please support the work of of stateoftelaviv.com. We are committed, passionate, and require resources to deliver quality podcasts, writing, and analysis. Paid subscriptions are our only revenue. If you value our work, particularly at this time, then please support us.